0: Hi, welcome to the On Your Marks Book Review podcast with me, Jonathan Marks. This week I read Onward by Starbucks founder Howard Schultz. The book, published in 2011, details how Schultz returned as CEO in 2007 and led a management team that returned the company to greatness. Interestingly, Schultz has once again returned as CEO, his third time, as the company now searches for a new chief executive. I love the Starbucks story. And while the book doesn't go into much detail regarding the start of the company, I thought I'd give you a little bit of an overview here, as the history of the company links so beautifully with what went wrong at Starbucks in the early 2000s, and in turn connects with what the company did in order to help save Starbucks. Schultz comes from Brooklyn and mentions frequently, both in the book and in videos, about his very humble beginnings and the impact on his family of his father's blue-collar worker status and also workplace injury that left him unable to work for many, many years. After a football scholarship, Schultz started working at a company that sold coffee machines, and this led him to meeting the founders of Starbucks, a Seattle-based retailer of coffee beans, teas and spices, and of course coffee machines. He becomes completely enamored with the business, and he gets a job as their marketing director. As part of his training, the team from Starbucks sent him to Italy, and for the first time he sees the romance of Italian coffee shops the sound and the smells, the interaction between the customers and the barista, and the role of coffee shops in the day-to-day routine of Italians. He gets back to Seattle, enormously excited, and suggests to his employers that they open an Italian coffee shop. They're not convinced, and in the end, Schultz decides to leave and go it alone, and he raises some capital and launches a coffee shop called Il Gionale, mostly in the Pacific Northwest area of America. The business goes really well, and he's really created something based on what he's seen in Italy. A few years later, his former employers call him and say they want to sell the company. He loves the name Starbucks, and so again, he gathers some capital and buys the company and the brand. And from those few stores in the Seattle area, he grows to the Starbucks empire, which after a year has become 11 stores and around 100 employees. Forty years later, by the time this book was written and published, Starbucks had 16,000 stores in 54 countries with more than 200,000 employees. The business had annual revenue in excess of 10 billion US dollars, serving nearly 60 million customers per week. The growth in Starbucks, led by Schultz and by two subsequent CEOs, was phenomenal. But by 2007, apart from the credit crisis, growth had begun to flatten and it became clear that Starbucks had lost its way. And this is where Onward picks up the story. Schultz can see the decay, not just in comparable sales numbers, but a drifting from his vision and the essence of what Starbucks means to him and what he imagines the company means to customers. These issues are small but obviously noticeable to Schultz and reflected in the slowing sales. For example, a big part of the theatre of Starbucks, taken from Italian coffee shops, is that the barista can see the customer over the top of the coffee machine and engaged in some conversation. As Starbucks grew and demand in-store increased, it was decided to replace the existing coffee machines with automated ones, which were much faster, and thus decreased the waiting time, and increased, of course, store sales. The problem was that the machines were so much bigger, and that moment of human contact was lost, as the barista could no longer see the customer over the machine. Starbucks management also noticed that many customers would buy coffee from Starbucks and then buy food elsewhere. The obvious thing to do, and I guess any management guru would tell you it's the right thing, is to add food items to the menu to capture a much greater share of the customer's wallet. But what Schultz notices is that the smell from the food was so overpowering one couldn't smell the coffee, another big part of the cafe-theater experience. In fact, the smell of coffee was so important that Starbucks employees Uh, actually called partners, are not allowed to wear perfume or cologne in the store in case that overshadows the smell of fresh ground coffee. And so the book details many similar such examples, and eventually Schultz, who is the chairman, decides it's time to let the CEO go and work with the management team to return Starbucks to its roots. As part of this experience for himself, there is a wonderful moment in the book where he goes early one morning to the original Starbucks store in Pike Place Market, Seattle, He still has his key from the time that he first worked there. And going in, he describes the store, which is completely unchanged from when he bought it 40 years ago. From this seminal experience, he decides to write a confidential memo to his senior management team about everything that has gone wrong at Starbucks. He's honest and quite emotional about his business. And of course, as luck would have it with a company this size, the memo is leaked to the press. Soon it's all over the internet. In fact, it's still there, by the way, if you search for it. And now with everything out in the open, Schultz sets about rebuilding the company. He and his management team come up with a transformation agenda comprising seven big moves. I've listed these in the infographic, but I'll share them now as well. These are really seven strategic initiatives that will and do, of course, drive Starbucks back to profitability and back into the hearts of consumers. Because I think these strategic moves are universally useful, really for any business, I will briefly mention them. First of all, the company has this aspiration, kind of like a lofty goal, and which is, and I quote, to become an enduring great company with one of the most recognized and respected brands in the world, known for inspiration and nurturing the human spirit. This is really powerful stuff, and note that there's no mention of coffee. I think this is what makes a great company, a move away from the product and service, and rather towards values and mission. So to achieve this, they set the following seven strategic goals. Number one, be the undisputed coffee authority. Number two, engage and inspire our partners, those are their staff. Number three, ignite the emotional attachment with our customers. Four, expand our global presence while making each store the heart of the local community. Five, be a leader in ethical sourcing and environmental impact. 6. Create innovative growth platforms worthy of our coffee. And finally, 7. Deliver a sustainable economic model. The book unfolds with small chapters detailing what was done across each of these big moves. This makes for interesting reading, and Schultz takes the reader through the twists and turns of balancing his vision against the inertia of every large company, even one with highly motivated staff, and the pressure from Wall Street. In one memorable anecdote, Schultz believes that baristas have either not learned or have forgotten how to pour the perfect shot of espresso. He decides to close all U.S. stores, about 7,800 of them, for a full day to conduct staff training. The move costs millions in lost revenue and of course opens the door for customers to try competitor's coffee. But in the end, he believes it's the right move and the results seem to pay off. In a similar vein, he decides that despite the huge economic pressure being felt by the company, that they would still go ahead with a planned leadership retreat for all senior managers across the global business. The week-long event will cost around $30 million, a huge number when the company is also engaging in layoffs and store closures. But again, it's the right move, and they decide to hold the event in New Orleans. Of course, the value of the conference is huge for the city, still devastated from Hurricane Katrina. In a touching moment at the end of the chapter, one of the executives who planned the conference is strolling around the French Quarter the day after the conference and gets chatting with a local vendor, who asks him if he has been involved with the Starbucks group. The executive replies yes, that he had helped to plan the conference. The vendor's eyes start to tear up as he says, thank you, you paid my mortgage this month. And so the book unfolds. Of course, all works out perfectly in the end and the company is indeed back on its feet in a few years. While the book is filled with everything you expect from a company that really values its staff and customers, and one that's trying to sell more than coffee, there is, of course, a soft underbelly to Starbucks. They, for example, have been accused of tax evasion in the UK. They've operated the business at a book loss for decades, paying out profit to tax havens in Europe. In fact, Starbucks has paid only around £6 million in UK taxes since it began, despite telling shareholders that it's their most profitable location. And more recently, you may have seen that the actor James Cromwell superglued his hands to a Starbucks counter in protest of the extra charge for plant-based milk, rightly claiming that the real cost of cow milk is way higher than plant milk, never mind the impact on the environment. Also in the US, many Hispanic and African-American customers are lactose intolerant, and so this overcharge could be seen through that prejudicial lens as well. But I don't think this should detract from the book. It's dense and a very detailed read, and certainly one I would advocate for those interested in company turnarounds. But in the end, says Schultz, it's all about love. And as he says in the book, and I quote, when we love something, emotion often drives our actions. This is the gift and the challenge entrepreneurs face every day. The companies we dream of and build from scratch are part of us and intensely personal. They are our families." our lives. Well, that's certainly something I feel I can get behind. And speaking of entrepreneurs, I'd love to do a shout out to two exceptional local South African entrepreneurs. Divesh and Shahen, both MBA graduates from the Gordon Institute of Business Science here in Johannesburg, have followed their passion for coffee and started a business called Coffee Notes. As a promotion for all of you, you can get 10% off any online orders of artisanal coffee beans from their website. I see this as a wonderful parallel between their business and Starbucks, and so would be delighted if you would support them. You'll find the link and the voucher code in this week's email. In the week ahead, I'll be going back to ancient Rome and reading Marcus Aurelius' book, Meditations. This core text of Stoicism is making something of a comeback, so please look out for that review next Tuesday. And otherwise, I wish you all a wonderful and coffee-filled week ahead.